the rest of us, let's open our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 18. One more section in Acts chapter 18. And I'll read from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Let's pray first. Now, our most holy Lord God, like we just sang in the hymn, these beautiful, wonderful words of life, Lord God, the holy scripture, Lord God, which makes us wise unto salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. Your word. This book is your word. And we come, Lord God, now to read, to study. And I pray that you would encourage, teach us, that you would do the work in each one of us that needs to be done. And how amazing is it, Lord God, that you are able to do that? You look out in a room, you know, I don't know, maybe 60 people or so in a room, and who knows how many are listening online and you are able to like custom teach each one right where they're at and, and be able to minister to each one right with it. That's the power of your spirit in us. You're an awesome and infinite God with capacities to help us just to serve you and become more like you. That's amazing. Also your grace. And we pray that that would be at work in us now. And we thank you for it, Lord. Help us to listen, to receive, to be doers of it. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read this. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. That's really something else, isn't it? And you you remember last week's study, we went through the passage of scripture right before this, and it kind of just turned into a a Bible study because there was was essentially like one main facet to the whole passage, and and we just kind of launched off from there. Well, this week... This passage of scripture basically becomes like a Bible study as well, um, but there's, there's, there's more details in the passage that just kind of launch us off. Of course, center stage, by the design and authorship of God himself, is Apollos here, right? And you get that in Acts of the Apostles. You get that in this book much more than any other of the New Testament books, right? We gather together to worship Jesus. We gather together to worship God and to have us taught more in the ways of Jesus, right? 
But in the course of reading through the Acts of the Apostles, what you're seeing is Jesus at work in people, right? So we don't glory or rejoice in the people, but we do talk about the people because God has shined some light on the people here for us to read and to study and to learn. And when I studied through this passage of Scripture, what I saw was like point after point after point popping off in the description of Apollos and making me as a Christian say to myself, this is what I'd like to be, (laughs) right? I mean, don't you read that? I mean, I heard a nice hearty amen after I finished reading the passage. I'm not sure what you were amening, but I'm guessing it's the same thing that I would amen after I read this, which was like, the Lord was really at work in this guy. And, and you know what's amazing is like, I'm going to take a little bit out of order here, but the sort of the epilogue, which usually comes at the end, but sort of the epilogue to the, the little bit that we know about Apollos in the Bible. You know, at the end of the story, it describes how he wants to cross over into Achaia. And of course, the chief city in Achaia is Corinth. And so he goes to Corinth. And we know that eventually the Apostle Paul writes his letters to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, there's tons of problems in the Corinthian church. And uh, one of the problems in the Corinthian church was that they had become factionalized. And some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Cephas or Peter. And others said, I am of Apollos. Right? Now, while that was bad, and it was a reflection of the carnal hearts of the people in that church, that was not a bad reflection on Apollos himself. In fact, I would say it is pretty amazing to look and to see, because you would not call Apollos an apostle in, in the sense of what the New Testament defines that office as. I mean, in a generic sense, the word apostle means sent, and certainly God sent Apollos to do work. But what the office of the apostle was, was very limited to a small number of people early in the church age, to the point that we refer to it, the beginning of the church age, as the apostolic age, where a lot of the miraculous sign-oriented gifts of the Spirit were very prominently at work, and, and all those other things that we've talked about many, many times. But when in the Corinthian church... Among the people, Apollos was viewed as, as, as having a ministry as important and as meaningful as Peter and Paul, right? That's, that's the point. Now, the people of the Corinthian church, which is another subject for another day, they were carnal in everything that they were doing. But that didn't reflect bad on Apollos. Apollos was doing what he was called to do. And you see in this scripture that it says when he went to Corinth, what did he do? He helped a lot of people. He was very helpful using his gift to teach. So it's really amazing that as we look through the passage here in Acts and you see all the qualities of this person, you want to examine them and recognize this was God working in him. And then I look at that and I say, you know what? This isn't Paul that I'm reading about. This isn't Peter that I'm reading about. This isn't Jesus himself that I'm reading about. This is a guy. You know, he's a guy. This is Apollos. He's a man. They're all, you know, Jesus was the son of God. Paul and Peter were just men, but they were specifically called to be apostles. This is Apollos. This is a guy that just comes across later. He was a guy who apparently had come across 
the teaching of John the Baptist, whether he had spent some time in Judea and heard it for himself or it had made it to Alexandria where there was a huge Jewish community in that day and had, had heard it from other people who had come back from Judea to Alexandria. But he knew of the teaching of John the Baptist, which was that the Messiah was at hand. Get ready. You know, I'm the forerunner. I'm the... So he knew. And, and so he taught that himself accurately, but he still needed to have the detail filled in that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And of course, it was Aquila and Priscilla, as the story says, who filled that in. But Apollos is like someone that I can look at. Apollos is someone that is given to us by God in the Bible that you and I can look at and say, you know what? I want, I want the Lord to bring these characteristics out of me that I might serve him, right? You see that? You want to be a servant of God in this life, right? I don't know why people shy away from that. Like, they shy away. Well, we can't really serve God. What can we do for God? We can't. That's not the point. It calls us to serve him, to be fervent in spirit, like it says here in other places in the New Testament. And I want to bear fruit for him. I want to do the things that he gifts me to do and calls me to do. I want to do them with my whole heart. And I want whatever comes out of that to bring great glory to the Lord. Right? I want my light to shine before men that they may see my good works and do what? Glorify God. I want my life to show what it is that the Lord is doing in me that God might receive glory and other people might be pointed to him. That's what God did with Apollos. And that's what I think we ought to be longing for in our own lives. Amen? So let's get into it. You like lists of 10 things? Shake your head yes, because you're about to get one. So if you're looking for a sermon title, this is 10 things we can learn from God's servant, Apollos. 10 things we can learn from God's servant, Apollos. Ready? Number one, let's unpack it, and that's what we'll do today. So we're told this certain Jew, his name was Apollos, and he was born in Alexandria, which, as I said, in that day, maybe aside from Jerusalem, Alexandria is in Egypt. You can tell from the name who it's named after, right? It was named after Alexander the Great, who had conquered much of the world centuries earlier. Now the whole world was in Roman hands, of course. But you still have the city named Alexandria. Apollos was born there. It was one of the biggest, probably the biggest, most thriving Jewish community in its day, outside of Judea, outside of the city of Jerusalem itself, right? Um, the first thing we're told about him is that he was an eloquent man. And so here we go, unpacking the little details. I want to say something about eloquence. First of all, it's a surprising detail to read in the Bible, right? Because eloquent isn't a strictly scientific term. There's a subjectivity to it, right? Like what one person might consider to be very eloquent, another person might not, right? And the thing I want to say, of course, about eloquence is that it's presented here in a very positive light. We're not being shown here that eloquence is bad. There are a couple famous examples uh, where we want to be careful because the idea of Speaking ability being something that's a requirement for people to be used by God is something the Bible actually teaches the opposite, right? 
I mean, I mean, when Moses was called by God, famously, Moses was trying to say, no, not me, Lord, not me, Lord. And one of the things that Moses actually said to the Lord was, I, I, don't, I don't really speak that well, right? So finally, God said, well, okay, here's Aaron, your brother. He'll be your speaker. Now go do what I told you to do, right? So, and then the Apostle Paul, when he writes to that Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul writes to that Corinthian church to refute their sectarianism and their carnality, he says... When I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech, but I came with the power of God. So Paul, Paul, when he writes to them to try to persuade them that their, uh, their sectarianism and their carnality was evil, downplays like the role of eloquence. And maybe, maybe some of the sectarianism was Paul didn't think of himself as being particularly eloquent, which would be shocking because when you read, when you read his writing, it's like, it's, it's, it's very, you know, up there, as far as I'm concerned. But there, there you go with the subjectivity again. But we're told that Apollos was eloquent. So maybe there were just people that are like, well, we really like listening to Apollos. And, and they got real carnal about it. Who knows? Maybe that's what it was about. But I want to just show you that the description of him being eloquent here is something to actually give some thought to. Uh, just two things that I want to share. Well, first of all, I do think that how we say things matters, right? How, well, it's, it's, it's biblical, and that's one of the first things I want to say. Is Colossians chapter 4, here comes the Bible study part, ready? If you want to write, I'm not going to make you turn to it, but if you want to write these things down and look them up later for yourself, it's a nice little study for you, ready? In Colossians chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6, the same Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Corinthians wrote to the Colossian church and said, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Do you know what that means? That means how you live must have wisdom applied to it. And when he says those who are outside, he's talking about unbelievers. In other words, how we live in the sight of unbelievers matters. And then he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. In other words, you don't have any time to waste. Get at it now. And then he says this, after telling them to walk in wisdom towards the unsaved, the one thing that he zeroes in on and gives as a specific example of walking in wisdom towards those outside is guess what? How you talk. Verse 5, Colossians 4, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Right? So in other words, the way that we speak specifically with those who are outside, specifically with those who don't know the Lord in mind. The way that we speak ought to be with grace. The way that we speak ought to be seasoned with salt. And there's a number of things that people say about the seasoned with salt. If you think about what salt is used for a little bit in the, in the ancient world, in the Roman world, salt was like as valuable as currency, right? I mean, now salt is like, you know, you go to McDonald's and you order something at the drive-thru and they throw a couple of salt packets in the bag and if you don't use it, you throw it out, right? Not so 
Not so in the, back in the day. Salt was extremely valuable and, and, and hard, to, hard to come by. It was a, a commodity for the rich. And, uh, and salt does what? It preserves, right? Salt was a, a common preservative. Salt was something that would season food to make it taste better. Right? So salt would have that effect. Look, our words, how we speak, ought to be seasoned like that. Our words ought to be like a preservative. Our words ought to be like good flavoring. Our words ought to be valuable. Not wasted. Not coarse. Not rough. Now look, I'm not saying you need to like sound like, you know, a Harvard professor in everything that you say or anything like that. We, we can't all sound like uh, Charles Spurgeon, for example, preaching. But you can, like, kind of think about this and pray about this and work on this. How you speak in the community matters. Pa- Apollos, we're told, was an eloquent man. One of the estimable and useful qualities of Apollos was his eloquence. He had it, and it was dedicated to God and used by God to the point that God saw fit to make note of it in his word. Here's a little practical advice. There are ways you can actually become, I'm not going to dwell on this because this isn't like biblical per se, but just from my own experience, there are ways that you can adopt better speaking habits in your life. I don't usually delve into this sort of thing, but this is just from my own experience. I didn't read this anywhere or anything like that. Right? Number one, read the Bible a lot. If you get your mind into biblical literature, you will find yourself starting to speak like what the Bible says. I have known that since I was 23 years old when I, detect, when I started reading the Bible for myself the first time and I started speaking to people and suddenly I started to sound more like what I was reading. Really? It's truth. Read the Bible. Number two, read good literature. Read, read stuff, read things that stretch you, you know, and read a lot. Number three, listen to people who speak well. Listen to eloquent preachers. Listen to Apollos's. Listen to them a lot. It will get in you, right? So read, listen, be careful, pray. Ask the Lord for help, okay? That's all. I don't want to go too deep into all that. Um, I do want to share with you, though, Proverbs 8.8. 8. You know if you're going to talk about speech, you're going to get something from Proverbs, right? Proverbs 8.8, 8, listen to this. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. That is a verse that comes out of a longer passage which is presented to us as wisdom speaking to us, as if wisdom were a person. The passage starts off by saying, wisdom cries out. So like wisdom personified. And one of the things that wisdom bellows out for all of us to hear is that all of the words of my mouth, that is all of the words of wisdom, are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. In the words of wisdom. And lastly, I'll just point out that all of us together, on purpose, (laughs) just sang a song that came out of Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Right? Number one, Apollos was eloquent. Number two, 
Well, you know what's number two, right? He was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Apollos was Bible strong. Amen? We need Christians who are Bible strong. Seek to know your Bible well. I got a yes. I got an amen. It's not important what I hear you say. It's very important that in your heart you affirm that and you're longing for that. Read it. Study it. Think about it. Seek to memorize verses from it. Listen to people who accurately preach from it. As Paul later, much later, towards the end of his life, wrote to his protege, Timothy. He says, charge them not... uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14, I'm starting it. Charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. This was part of his pastoral role. Tell people, don't argue about stuff that's useless, right? Charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And then he tells them, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, ready? Rightly dividing the word of truth. I learned from listening to John MacArthur years ago that that phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth, what it means is to like cut it straight. Like a carpenter would like lay out a, a, a piece of lumber or something and, and, and you know, you got one shot at cutting that thing, you know, to the, to the right way. If you cut it wrong, you might mess it up and lose, lose the piece of lumber. Listen, rightly divide the word. Cut it straight. He tells Timothy what? Be diligent to show yourself approved to God. And look, this is the point. The measure, listen everybody, the measure of whether or not Timothy was approved to God in what Paul was talking about. He's not talking about salvation. You know, you're not, you're not saved by doing anything. You're not saved by being a good Bible student, right? You're saved by God's grace through faith. We know that. But in his ministry, if his work, if his labor, if his life, how he was living it out, was going to be approved by God, the thing that he needed to do, the proving ground was rightly dividing the word of truth. He had to be diligent to be able to to rightly divide the word of truth. And in order to do that, what did he need to do? Study, 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 study. The old King James actually translates that, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? So it actually uses the word study because because the, uh, the idea of diligence and study are basically the same thing, right? Amen? You know what happens when you study your Bible hard? You know what happens when you study your Bible consistently for a long time and you stay faithful at it and you don't give up? You press on. You become Bible strong. And the church doesn't just need people who give lip service to their love for the Bible. The church needs people, listen, the lost generation around us needs people who are Bible strong. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. I want to be mighty in the scriptures. I want you to be mighty in the scriptures. And this is Apollos. He's a guy. 
He's not Paul. He's not Peter. He's not Jesus. He's Apollos. And he's mighty in the scriptures. Why not you? No reason. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's what James says. You press into God, he'll press right back. Hallelujah. All right, that's the second. See how this goes? Here's number three. So he's an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. Now, let me just stop on that. This isn't like one of the points on the list, but let me just, uh, just to make sure you understand. He comes to Ephesus. If you remember from last week, the itinerary of Paul. Paul took his leave. This is all, there's all like, there's like revolving doors going on here. And these guys are like trading places, basically. Paul leaves Corinth and he sails to Ephesus. And when he comes to Ephesus, he goes into the synagogue at Ephesus. And he preaches and teaches a little bit in the synagogue. And they beg him to stay, right? But he says, no, I can't stay because he needed to make it to Jerusalem because he had had his hair cut off at Centria because the period of some vow that he had taken had ended. So he needed to go to Jerusalem, right? And so he leaves Ephesus, but as sovereign God would have it, what what does he do? He leaves Aquila and Priscilla at Ephesus. Because obviously when he went into the synagogue at Ephesus, he began to preach and teach in the synagogue and some of the people there had believed. And some of the people said, man, we want you to stick around and show us more of this, right? And he's like, well, I can't, but he leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. And don't you know that Aquila and Priscilla are going to become a big part of this story as we've studied before. And then, of course, just to follow the whole thing up. So, so, so Apollos is going to walk into a ministry that began with the Apostle Paul and has like his deputies, if you will, Aquila and Priscilla staying there. And then eventually at the end of the story, Paul is going to go, uh, Apollos is going to go to where Paul was in Corinth and become strong in the church there. You see how the Lord is doing all that? He's moving Paul around and he's raising up Apollos's to continue the work that he started. That's how the Lord will work. Hallelujah. So, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Stop there. Now, this is a little bit different than the previous point, though they're related to one another. He was taught. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. That is to say, he had learned, right? The idea of studying your Bible is something that requires a lot of you. The idea of being well-learned in the scriptures involves being in the right place and among the right people that you might learn from them. God the Holy Spirit meets us and lives in us and teaches us. So when you read your Bible and study your Bible, the Lord is at work teaching you. But remember, 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 like we read the verse last week from Ephesians that talks about how God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the edifying of the saints, for the building up of the whole body. It talks about until we all come together uh, in the unity of the Spirit, right? And then we're supposed to endeavor to keep that. So God puts those things, God calls those people, and puts those people in place where? In the... So church becomes an important thing, right? Now, we don't have record of Apollos really being part of church yet. Apollos in his 
knowing of the baptism of John, it seems that what Apollos' thing is, he goes to synagogues. He's part of the synagogue in Alexandria. He comes to Ephesus and he ends up in the synagogue in Ephesus, right? And he goes and he's trying to, in the synagogues, among the Jewish people in the synagogues, he's trying to teach them and convince them that the words of John the Baptist are true. The Messiah is at hand. We need to repent and get ourselves ready because the Messiah is at hand. He do, he's doing this without knowing about Jesus yet, right? So, but the important thing is this. He, relevant to this point, he had learned that. Either he himself, as I said before, we're not told, had been in Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, but in the region of the Jordan way back in the day, a few years, years, not more than a few, few years before this and had heard John the Baptist preach himself or in this thriving Jewish community in Alexandria, someone who had also heard of John the Baptist's teaching came and the word of John the Baptist's teaching was spreading among the Jews of Alexandria. But in one way or another, he put himself under the teaching of whatever teaching body, the synagogue that was that he was part of. You and I need to do that as well. You follow that? He was instructed in the way of the Lord. You need to be in your church. You need to be part of a good Bible-believing church. You need to be learning the Word of God in a good Bible-believing church. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes and says, As you have therefore As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, ready, listen to this, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, ready, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul writes to the Colossian church and tells the Colossian church, Just like you receive Christ the Lord, you need to be built up in Christ the Lord just like you've been taught. To be taught is an important part of being a Christian, especially being a Christian who's going to be fruitful in serving the Lord. And Apollos was taught. All right, what's next on the list? You follow this? This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and now the next thing is being fervent in spirit. Stop there. You see all these details we're being told? We're getting all this insight into the character, into what God was doing in the inner man in this guy. It's not just a single sentence that says, now, Apollos came along and he wanted to go to Corinth, so uh, they spent a little time with him and then they sent him to Corinth. And that is the end of it. No, we get all this detail about him. We're told all this stuff. And so we stop and we study it and we learn it because... While we're talking about the man, this is Christ's work in the man, and we want it to be Christ's work in us. So we should be aware of what's going on. Listen, fervent in spirit. The idea of fervency is passionate. On fire for the Lord. Right? And fuego por Jesucristo. Eh? Hallelujah. Very little I can do there like that, but there's one of them. All right. All right. So listen, he was passionate. Where does that come from? It comes from within. And and why is he passionate? Because of all of the other things. You know, 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was mighty in the scriptures. He walked closely with the Lord, and so there was a passion for the Lord. He was fervent in the spirit. Look, this is something that every one of us, as you walk through this world, and especially as you live in a society like the one we do, where there is so much freedom and so much prosperity at our fingertips, where we're able to basically... I mean, if we just wanted to order our entire lives around our own entertainment and our own satisfaction, we could do it. Many places in the world, you cannot. Many places in history, you cannot. Life is maybe a struggle from one thing to the next. We are the most amused, most entertained, most satiated, most carnally fed people in the history of the world. There are positive elements to that, perhaps. But one of the things you have to guard against is all of that pleasure, all of that prosperity, all of the availability 24-7 of anything you want to entertain yourself can dull your spirit towards God. Want proof? Shake your head, yes. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Write this down. Write that reference down and go read it for yourself and study this and know it well. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Ready? You know the first part of this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Right? Here's what it goes on to say. Do not love the world or the things, the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, ready for this? The love of the Father is not in him. Exclusivity of territory. God doesn't share his turf. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is basically American existence 24-7, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is what? Passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And I read that with no smugness or no aha or anything in my spirit. I read that as a man who seriously has to examine himself. And I read it to you as someone, my brothers and sisters, dear people who also need to examine themselves. The love of the world and the things of the world is not of God. It squeezes the love of God out. And and to the point concerning Apollos... He was fervent in spirit. I would like to be fervent in spirit towards the things of the Lord. But if I love this world and my life is about just chasing after pleasure after pleasure, amusement after amusement in this life, if that's all my life is about, how can that fervency of spirit abide in here? That's why the scripture warns us concerning God, sovereign God, the Holy Spirit who lives in us to not quench and to not grieve. 
You understand? But rather to be filled. To be filled with the Spirit and to be filled with the love of the things of this world are complete opposites from one another. That is why Galatians, as we studied recently, says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The opposite is true. Walk in love for the pleasures of this life and you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. You follow? Where are the serious Christians? Listen, it's not that any of us is invulnerable to falling into this. That's why it's written in the Bible, a book that is written generally to all Christians. Not trying to point anybody out, single anybody out, zero in on any group of people or any particular people. Speaking generally to all Christians. The Proverbs writer says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Amen? You know that. I've quoted that verse a hundred times from this pulpit over the years. And it never stops being true. All right. So Apollos was fervent in spirit. Now, before I read, that was, verse, that was already one through four. Now, here comes number five. And number five, if you read, it says that uh, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, I already described what that meant, but there is, there is something else that needs to be pointed out about that, which is what? If you look at the first four things, he was eloquent, he was mighty in the scriptures, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. May I suggest to you that those things are no good if they are not what? Employed. Used. Walked in. Right? What good is eloquence? What good is Bible strength? What good is all the learning in the world and what good is all the passion in the world if it is not channeled into action? And so the fifth point concerning Apollos is his eloquence, his Bible might, his learning, and his fervency of spirit. He used it all. He abounded in it. He saw everything that God poured into him as belonging to God. He was what? He was a steward of the things that God had given to him. And look, there's a great example for all of us. We are stewards of God's blessings. Colossians 1.10. You know, the beginning of the book of Colossians, Paul offers this prayer for the church. And I've actually prayed through that prayer many times myself. Just going through it from memory, thinking of you, very often praying for you and praying for the ministry of this church many, many, many times. One of the things that he prays for, for the people of the Colossian church is that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, part of his prayer, part of his prayer is that they would fully please him and be fruitful in every good work. That is, like Apollos, Paul prayed for the people of this church that whatever the Lord had blessed them with, whatever the Lord had given to the people of this church by way of gifts or abilities or resources, that they would employ it all in the service of God, that they might be fruitful. That's what Apollos did. That's what it says. It says, after describing his eloquence, his scripture might, his, all of his learning and all of his fervency of spirit... We're told that he used it. He spoke and taught. Look, 
accurately the things of the Lord, though it was incomplete. Like up to the level of what he knew, which was about Messiah, but not knowing that Jesus was that Messiah. He only knew the baptism of John, it says. Up to the point of what he knew, he put it to work. There's something else the church needs. There's something else the ministry of the gospel needs. There's something else the Lord wants to do in all of us. There's something else the Lord had worked in Apollos. There's something else I'd like to see worked out in my own life and worked out in all of your lives who believe on the Lord as well. That you diligently, actively, eagerly work and labor and serve the Lord with everything that He has put in you. Praise the Lord. All right, number six. Here we go. So... When he comes to Ephesus, what does he do? Verse 26 says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Let's just stop for a moment and talk about number six there, which is what? His boldness. I confess to you that I feel like boldness is something I lack a little sometimes. Some of my dear brothers here in the church and sisters too, I feel like they exemplify this one a little more than I do. And, uh, and this is something I want more. But what is boldness? Boldness is the application of a commitment to truth and to faith, right? Boldness comes from what? Boldness comes from, ready, you are absolutely convinced something is true and you have devoted your life to it. That's what boldness springs from. You have absolutely committed to the gospel of Christ. You are convinced that it's true. He is, you have believed on it with all of your heart. You are trusting in Him. Right? You are trusting in Him. You are applying yourself to those things which add strength to your faith. And boldness springs off of that. Boldness is that courage. Right? It's, that, it's, a, it's a thing in you that emanates in action. Because you are so committed to something. You know where Paul got his boldness from? He got it from one place. He got it from God. And you know how he got it? He asked Christians to pray for him. We've gone over this one before too. Yeah, I've been preaching here almost 20 years. I have to stop saying we've gone over this one too. Because I think we've gone over, at least in the New Testament, we've gone over just about everything at some point in some arena, somewhere. All right? So you get it. So we're, we're just being reminded of things at this point. Okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19 he talks about this prayer request. He says, I want you to pray for me that utterance, that is, that I would open my mouth. Utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly. Boldly, twice in the prayer request. It's, it's not that he's asking for, give me the words to say. It's not that he's asking for opportunities. Because he knows he has opportunities. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. You know, he's a prisoner and he knows that his imprisonment is an opportunity to speak the gospel to people that he's going to come across. So he knows he's got the opportunity. But the thing twice that he asks for is boldness, right? Pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly. Pray for me that in my chains I might speak boldly. What is boldness? It's that commitment to something to the point where you act on it, act on it, act on it with all the strength of your life that God gives you. With the gospel, Apollos was bold. 
That's a bold thing, to walk into a synagogue in a town that's not your hometown. To walk into a synagogue in Ephesus. We're told he was born in Alexandria. So he walks into the synagogue in Ephesus and starts talking about John the Baptist's preaching, which was basically pointing ahead to Jesus without actually naming Jesus and describing who the Messiah was. That's pretty bold, right? Now, the Apostle Paul had already been there and laid the groundwork. So now here comes Apollos talking about it. And guess who's sitting there in the audience listening? Aquila and Priscilla, who know the rest of the story from the Apostle Paul, right? That's the next point. Point number seven. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, Aquila and Priscilla, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what's that? Hey, Apollos, this is really awesome what you're preaching. Guess what? God fulfilled it. And let me tell you how God fulfilled it. And so what does he do? He preaches to them what it says at the end of the passage. Jesus is the Christ. They, they preach to Apollos. And listen, I know we already talked about Aquila and Priscilla, but there's a husband and wife using together their opportunity to minister to serve the Lord. They're, they're doing exactly what their leader, their human leader, Paul, had told them to do. They're staying there in Ephesus. They're in the synagogue. And here comes Apollos in talking about John. It's like, wow, this guy knows about John the Baptist. Let's fill in the rest. And so they fill in the rest and they fill in about Jesus. What was needed in Apollos for that? Teachability or as we might say, what? Humility. Because, listen, here's something rare. Ready? Eloquent, knows his Bible well, had learned a lot, passionate and on fire for the Lord, and bold, but he's willing to listen. That's a rare thing. Meekness, that's called. Humility, that's called. Amen? You see that there? Uh, James one twenty one talked about it last week. Talked about it at the men's fellowship. Bob shared this with us. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of, of overflow of wickedness, and receive with what meekness the implanted word. That's it. That's exactly what Apollos did. He received with meekness the implanted word, what, which is able to save your souls. He received the teaching about Jesus. Right? He knew the baptism of John, but he didn't yet know the whole thing about Jesus. And so he goes in and preaches and teaches in the synagogue. And afterwards, instead of everyone come up and saying, nice sermon, Apollos. Oh, praise the Lord, Apollos. Great message, Apollos. Instead, he has this young married couple come up and say, come over aside with us. We need to fill you in on something. Now, in that moment, he's either, no way, man, I'm Apollos. Or he's what? Well, yes, of course. Dear brother and sister, I'd like to hear this. And so he listens. And with meekness, he receives the implanted word, which is able to save his soul. Oh, by the way, James then goes on and says what? Be doers of that word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And Apollos was that too, wasn't he? Yeah. All right, so humility. Number eight. These, the last three go really fast. Number eight, nine, and ten. Then it says, immediately after that, 
Notice it does not say, and then he went back into the synagogue and said, hey, guess what, everybody? I learned some new stuff and I want to show. No, it says what? It says he desired to cross to Achaia. So he came from Alexandria. He's come to Ephesus. And now after himself preaching and teaching and then learning more fully about Jesus, he's ready to go again and go somewhere else. And so he wants to cross to Achaia, which is where Paul and Aquila and Priscilla had come from. Corinth is in Achaia. Centria is in Achaia. So he wants to go across to Achaia. What does that show? He's eager to get at it. Jesus, Jesus was like this himself. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus had spent an entire day healing people and teaching people. And he had gathered this massive crowd And then when it came time for all of it to start again, nobody could find him. And so they went looking for him. What do you mean? He got all these people gathered together. you know. But Jesus had already spoken to them. He had already taught them. So when Peter and the rest of them finally found Jesus, it says, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. This is Mark 1.37. But you know what Jesus said to them? He didn't say, oh, wow, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I was just taking a little break here. Let's go back and talk to them some more. No. You know what he says? He says, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, casting out demons. Man, there was this eagerness in Jesus when he was on the earth to get at it. Yeah, gathered a big crowd. Yeah, healed a lot of people. Yeah, taught a lot of people. But I'm not just going to stay here because I've got a big crowd. I'm going to go somewhere else because that's why I've come to spread the word. You see that in Apollos as well, right? I want to go to Achaia now. So you know what they do? They write a letter to the church that had been started up in Corinth and said, receive this guy. But, but, but the characteristic that was in him, that God had put in him, that you and I ought to have, is an eagerness to be part of the work. Number nine, when he got there, after this letter was written, he greatly, simple point, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Right? So now, now he goes to a place where there's a church that's been formed. Remember, they left the synagogue and they moved next door to the synagogue ruler's house. And there was a church that was meeting there. And they had believed the gospel of Christ, which was rooted in the teaching of the grace of God. And when Apollos shows up, he goes into that meeting and he greatly helps those who had believed through grace. That's the ninth quality here that I want you to see. Apollos had a desire to be helpful to the church. It wasn't about Apollos. It wasn't about himself. It was about the edifying and the building up of the church. It was about spreading the word of Jesus. The only one who got glory was Jesus. It wasn't about Apollos' own agenda. What a simple but powerful way to describe someone who's truly serving the Lord. You know what? They are so helpful. It's just a simple thing. See, we tend to iconize people. We tend to put people up on pedestals, famous preachers, famous authors, celebrities. We tend to put them all... You don't see that happening here. What you see is a guy, he's helpful. And that's it. That's all that's said about him. That's, that's what's needed in Christianity. It's people who aren't looking to like carve out something for themselves, but people who are looking to help others. 
That's what the whole body dynamic is about. Only Christ is the head. Christ gets all the glory. The hand can't say to the foot, get out of here, we don't need you. Every part of the body is needed. What is needed is a band of people who love Jesus and desire to use whatever he works in them to be helpful. Amen? Lastly, verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Here's how, here's how the help took form. The help took form because these new Christians were being persecuted. What they believed was being attacked probably every single day, like it is today, right? Like, right like in American society today. In case you haven't noticed, outside of here, Christianity is always maligned and viewed as archaic, viewed as insensitive, viewed as not woke enough, viewed as whatever, right? And it's all brought down, it's viewed as fairy tales, the concoctions of men, viewed as divisive, not tolerant. Whatever way the world can attack it or malign it or bring it down. It is the early Christians in that church in Corinth, they experienced the same thing. In a theological sense, these guys believe this Messiah. These guys believe this carpenter's son from Nazareth who died is the Messiah. They need help. God sends them Apollos. And Apollos comes and he begins to vigorously refute those who would undermine the message of Christianity. And that's how the people were helped. Listen to this guy. Yeah, you know what? He's right. Yeah, he's... and it's just building all of them up. But that vigor, the word vigorously is what I appointed to. Vigor means strong. Vigor means strength. Vigor means with the whole heart. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Right? You don't think we serve the Lord? Right there you're told we serve the Lord Christ. He vigorously devoted his strength to serving. All right, what's the final picture of Apollos then? He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scriptures, Bible strong. He had been taught much in the the Lord. He was fervent of spirit. He used all of that to serve the Lord. He was bold. He was humble and teachable. He was eager to work. He was helpful and he was vigorous. Man, I read all of that in preparation for this and studied all that and thought to myself, I'd like to be that. And then I realized, this isn't like an apostle that's being talked about. This isn't like Jesus that's being talked about. It's just a guy. It's a guy who loved the Lord, was humble before the Lord, trusted in the Lord. And God, by that same sovereign grace that saves us, God, by his sovereign grace and power, worked all of that in this man. Why not? Us is my question to you. So let's go after it together. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, so much for this time together, Lord, that we have to worship, to listen. I pray, Lord God, that these qualities that you worked in Apollos, that you would help us to learn the wisdom of the stuff we studied today and be doers of it 
and that you would work it out in us that we might be fruitful for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.